Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss, and from Struggle to Success, we're covering it all. Fellow returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show. It means the world to me. And for all our new listeners, I hope you enjoy and come back next week. Today, we have a multiple guest episode, which is always so fun because you get to have a good conversation, good banter. I am beyond excited to introduce Dr. Mitu Kandaker, CEO, and Latoya Peterson, CXO, and both co-founders of Glow Up Games. I'm taking a line directly from their website here, but Glow Up Games is a studio games, or sorry, let me restart. Quote, Glow Up Games is a studio game studio centering innovative storytelling about black and brown joy. Me too, and Latoya, I would love for you both to further introduce yourselves and Glow Up Games to the audience. All right, well, hi, and thanks for having us. Um, So yeah, I'm Dr. Mitu Kandeka, um, and yeah, Latoya and I founded Glow Up Games about three years ago. um, And like you said, you know, we really are all about telling stories and centering stories, uh, which celebrate people of color, celebrate black and brown joy, which are stories we just don't get. Uh, seen told in video games historically. Um, uh, yeah, Latoya? Yeah, no, absolutely. So a few years ago, we started on this journey. I think, uh, you know, Mitsu and I had both been, you know, first friends, you know, and other two brown girls in the games industry. I was writing about games, Mitsu was creating games, but we kind of gravitated to on Twitter and then in real life. And then secondly, just understanding that, like, you know, we both grew up in very similar fashions. We've both been playing games since we were tiny. I think Mitzi started at four and I started at six and we just never saw protagonists that looked like us or stories like ours on screen. And, you know, as the years went on and played more and more titles, it just didn't seem to change. And so yeah. we realized that, you know, for the change that we wanted to see to happen, we need to get directly involved. Yeah. And, you know, I'm someone that's um, like, I've been in the games industry for like 14, almost 15 years. Latoya has been in the media industry for that long. And, you know, we've just done a lot of stuff throughout our careers in our respective spaces. And, you know, we, uh, one of the things that um, very much I think led to the formation of Law Games is seeing how in a lot of adjacent spaces like Hollywood, TV, other spaces where really creators of color and other underrepresented creators are being empowered to tell their own stories and finding a lot of success and a huge audience doing it. And knowing that that is something that could totally happen in video games if only um, you know, folks like myself and Latoya could step up and, and, you know, and make that happen. So here we are. Yes, I love that whole origin story. Can you all tell me where the name Glow Up came from? That's not a question I had written, but I, I really like that name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, so we went through like a thousand names. <laughs> what should we call Naming ourselves? Naming is the hardest yeah. part, I swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, we went through all kinds of different kind of beta tests. I think we all have uh, different domain names registered in 15 different other alternate company names this could have been. But I think for us, Glow Up um, and that whole idea of having a glow up, of making yourself better, of beautifying, of changing something that you know, needed an improvement of leveling up. It just felt like that was the right term for what we were trying to do as both a company and as a game studio. We're also just fans of having a good glow up of watching something uh, come out of nothing and look much better. So, you know, it it felt 
fun and femme and you know i think what was the other word that we use also space femme energy in terms of <laughs> what what the aesthetic of the studio is and so you know <laughs> what what better way oh, to have a woman of color found a game studio than called blow up games right i love that yeah i yeah totally agree let's start by talking about your your game development projects and chiefly the partnership you've developed with hbo and its hit series insecure which i i hope that everyone has seen or knows about insecure i will confess i am not a watcher i am an avid buzzfeed article reader about isa ray and the show um yeah i me and tv shows struggle me and reality tv get along great but real tv shows i struggle with but i will read any article read any plot summary of any tv show um but i know that you all formed a partnership and slash collaboration um happy to use your language on that whatever it may be to create a companion mobile game called Insecure the Come Up. And this is obviously such a huge partnership and accomplishment for a studio and a three-year-old studio. Just incredible. I don't think it's surprising. Shows me that there's a huge appetite for telling these stories, not only in traditional media, but <laughs> in newer media. Um, and that there's more than enough room to tell these stories to several different audiences in a, in a variety of ways. So how did this happen? <laughs> Tell me the whole story of, of working with Insecure and creating the game and where you are with the come up and what it's like. Yeah, I mean, Mitzi, do you want to start this one? Or you want me to start it? Yeah, Please. sure. I mean, yeah, so uh, yeah, it's called Insecure, the come up game, because it's very much about like building your best life in LA, like, you know, being on the come up, like, you know, all of all of that stuff. So um, we, funnily enough, you know, in that period where we were going through a million different names for the company and we hadn't actually decided on one yet even in those days you know we um we actually got talking to hbo um who have been just this incredible incredible licensing partner so we have this you know licensing deal with them um for this ip and to their credit and especially um the director of digital licensing there will wilson price um he very much cared about seeing a show like insecure which you know, for HBO represents like, um, you know, a huge audience, huge following. It had an incredible six seasons. And, you know, I think really just represented, even for people who didn't watch the show, you know, perhaps like yourself, Lindsay, like everyone's kind of aware of it and what it represents. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And that for us was like so important. I mean, we're huge fans of the show and of Issa going back before that. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I think for uh, for us, and I'll, I'll turn over to Latoya in a second, Insecure very much represented, you know, that audience that we're trying to reach. It also represents um, the kind of story of like, oh, if you create um, media, if you tell stories which center um, uh, black and brown women, like that can bring in everybody. That can bring in like a huge diverse audience because it's not just audiences of color that enjoyed that show. They're like a lot of the evangelists, but it brought in everybody. And that's what we're trying to replicate in the games industry. Um, but yeah, that's what I oh, to my, my Twitter timeline was always a mess yes. whenever a show dropped. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that in a good way. Like every, like there was not a, everyone was talking about it, you know? Yeah, and it was such a it was a huge cultural moment in a lot of ways. And so um, I think when we started this whole thing, we were kind of like, oh, like what kind of game we make? What kind of IP are we looking at? But like we were definitely looking at more original stuff. And then it was kind of like the opportunity of a lifetime. We had to shoot the shot with huge fans of Issa from the awkward black girl days, from her YouTube days till now. Insecure was must see TV. Obviously, we all everybody had to stop and watch and do watch parties and put that on our own. 
And so the idea of being able to bring that to life and to be able to bring it to life in our way, you know, not just to make like, there's a lot of, you know, kind of like story spinoffs or like mobile games are based on the show that are kind of like, okay, let's just cash in on the show and then kind of move on. And what we wanted to do was really create a mechanic that was reflective of the show um, and reflective of, again, Issa's relationship with herself and the mirror. We had this whole foundational idea of hype being a currency and feeling like you have to hype yourself up, hype up your friends, be in the mirror. And so a lot of those things went into the design of the game. Um, but I think the moment that I think about the most is when we had to go meet Issa and pitch this game. And so, again, it's like this was a normal license. You don't do all of this stuff. Again, as Mitchie mentioned, like HBO has just been phenomenal partners. And they were like, this is a special thing. And like, it's the first time we're really stepping out of like their usual games category to try to make this work. He was like, we think you should meet Issa. So we ended up meeting Issa and Prentice Penny, who's a showrunner, flying out to L.A., rehearsing the pitch, you know, freaking out about it. And then, you know, Issa Rae walks into the room with her team and we're just like, oh, God, okay, we have to, we got to sell her on this vision. And we started out with this whole question that became kind of like the, you know, uh, raison d'etre of the company in a lot of ways. It's okay, well, do you play games? And Issa's like, no, I'm not really a gamer. I don't really play. And as we're talking and as we're pitching the idea of the story and just getting into it, well, actually, I do play this game with my friends and we have this mobile game thing and whatever. And you find out, like, yes, everybody's playing. Women in particular are playing. We don't see ourselves players and Issa was no um so we got to you know luckily we crushed the pitch she was into it everyone was into it we got the green light and we started development on the project yeah and fast forward and so Issa actually ended up as an angel investor in the company which is awesome um yeah yeah um and so yeah and now um you know a couple of years into that journey um insecure the come up game is available on both app stores right now in early access ios and android so yeah it's been a real journey <laughs> yes especially through the uh, pandemic right? that one we didn't see coming. Right. We, yeah. didn't, we didn't see global pandemic after we launched a new startup that was not uh, no yeah that i think we could do a whole episode of the challenges of that and yeah what that was like um can i i want to ask a foundational question really quick about why you chose mobile as opposed to hardware or pc i think the accessibility is really obvious in that way but is there other reasons or i don't know i don't know exactly what to say because latoya i think you did a great job of saying you know part of it is that it it reaches a lot of women who don't already consider themselves gamers i'm in the exact same category i'm not a pc or a console gamer totally a mobile gamer Mm -hmm. um but is there is there things about mobile that you just think kind of you can't get in a pc or hardware experience or like what what is what is different about developing a mobile game to you all from your perspective as developers? Yeah, I mean, firstly, it's a device that goes with you everywhere, right? It's pervasive. You can pull out your phone anywhere. So that's definitely a huge advantage, especially with the kind of game that we are developing where it's like, you know, you can play, um, you know, and to tell you a bit about the game. So it's both sort of part story driven and, you know, similar part simulation-y. But then there's a part sort of that's a, rap rhyme uh, mini games, like a freestyle rap simulator. Um, so another way in which Glow Up Games is very different, we have a professional MC, uh, Samus, who is a core part of the team. Um, uh, but yeah, so it's one of these things where, oh, you're like on, this, on, the, on the bus or whatever, you're like walking down the street, you can just pull out your phone and just start playing. So, you know, I think that pervasiveness is a part of it. But in addition to that, it, it is kind of what we were saying about that accessibility. Like everybody has a phone, every you know, and it's not this thing where it's like, oh, cool, I'm gonna like sit down and play a game on my console or my or my computer or whatever. So yeah, it's just that immediacy. 
And also on that note on immediacy, like the other thing too, I think for developing for mobile, which is interesting, is just how much our phones are just like a part of our integrated life in a way that your PC and console, like, yeah, in a lot of ways, like you might do other things on your PC, your console is dedicated to gaming. But like when we were doing play tests and like, you know, hold on, hold on, my mom's calling. Like just like this, the fact of like, okay, how are we designing around these very real world, like everything on your phone is trying to get your attention at all times. We're trying to call you, things like that. So it's a very different way in which we're structuring like, the player experience in terms of how someone comes in and comes out, considering all the different uh, parts of your life that are filtered through the phone. Huh. Yeah, that's definitely not something I thought about. And, you know, I, I think in the, particularly in the gaming industry, we talk a lot about screens competing with each other, but you're totally, that's, that's really a, it's a fascinating way of saying the screens are even competing with itself yeah. um, quite a bit, uh, particularly when it comes to phone. Um, and especially, so now that we've kind of talked about the mobile and the game side of it, what do you think adding a mobile game to a show and, and as you pointed out, Latoya, not in the kind of quick buck kind of way, what do you think adding that companion experience to the show does does for fan engagement, both from the side of you know, HBO, who's the production company who wants to see their show get engagement, and from the side of the audience who's watching the show and enjoys it? Like, what does adding that portion do for the overall hype surrounding the show, I guess? Yeah, Latoya, do you want to take that one? Yeah, take it. No problem. Um, so yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, the benefit for having a tie-in game is the expansion of the world. And one of the things that we saw early on, even like, I think we weren't thinking about these kind of things when we first started the company, we just wanted to make it, we weren't thinking about like what the overall huge landscape was outside of, you know, what we already talked about in terms of, you know, young girls of color being able to see themselves as protagonists. That was the goal. But over time, we started realizing this is a much bigger story. So even like, why don't creators of color see their worlds adapted? In games more. Um, it's not like we don't have the franchises at this point, like half of TV this point is our, like, these compelling stories about people of color, and you just don't see games coming out of that. And um, a lot of that, I think, is a lack of familiarity both with the subject matter, with these creators, and with understanding, like, how do you interpret? So, like I said, Insecure is a, you know, kind of like a dramatic comedy at its core, where, you know, it's very funny, and it's very, like, slice of life, but there's also, like, really serious things, and people don't necessarily think, oh, like, a game should adapt to this in the same way. Which is why it took kind of our skills and expertise to say, like, okay, this is how we see a vision for what this could be. And it's not just you trying to, uh, you know, run up a score by clicking something a bunch of different times. We really wanted to put a lot of the world of insecure into uh, the game that we ended up creating. So it's, you know, it was interesting from a from an HBO perspective. One of the things that um, our partner, our, our fantastic partner, Will Price, had talked about when he was thinking about this was just this game was such an important thing to this community. Um, they, at the time that we were signing the contract, HBO uh, Insecure was the second highest socially engaged show on HBO after Game of Thrones. And if you think about how big Game of Thrones was, I mean, like 21 different countries simulcast um, to like this other show, which is dominating Sunday nights. Like it's a huge differential. Um, and so like this idea that it tapped into something that was important in the culture and that should be reflected in a game shouldn't be as radical of an idea as it is. Um, and, you know, and like I said, props to Will for seeing and understanding, like, oh, this is our next opportunity here. Like, we have other franchises that might make more sense in a traditional game sense, but this is the one that means something. Well, let's go with that. So I think that's, those are the things that we were weighing. Like I said, it's a non-traditional kind of, normally third-party stuff, you don't actually go meet the creators and do all these different things. This is definitely, I think, on all sides, a labor of love. 
so cool. When you're thinking about the audience that you're building for and and what that looks like, are you considering because there's there's like three different buckets, right? There's the people that will watch the show and play the game, and then there's the people that will watch the show. And then are you thinking about the people that will just play the game without watching yeah, the show? Totally, totally. Yeah. And then that's kind of one of the things about this um this IP and working within this IP that's cool. It's not like this super like law filled like world, uh like fantasy world filled with like things you need to know. It's just about living your best life in South LA and, you know, adulting and all of these like themes that are very relatable to like anybody, even, even if you haven't watched the show. Um, so we definitely have a part of our, our um, player base that, you know, hasn't seen the show, um, that is still enjoying it because ultimately it's about building a world in which you can see yourself represented. Um, and so, yeah. Um, and you're building, you know, you're very much like, you're not playing as one of the characters. You're like creating yourself and your avatar and defining your story. So it is definitely also for people who, um, you know, you know, haven't necessarily experienced the show. So cool. Yeah, I've been I haven't downloaded it yet. I full full transparency, but I have done a lot of like looking around. I read articles um, with your MC, like some interviews. Um, is MC the appropriate? Do you guys many you different i mean my controller is absolutely okay. non-go at all times yeah. um I think, yeah. uh, her title at brown so her, her uh, government name is a non-go Kasango. her government name at brown i think is professor in practice over yeah. over yeah. the rest. she's pretty yes. much yeah she's pretty much what i call her our director of rap yeah. like that's kind of other songs, like title like, she just does yeah yeah like that's but reading about the, yeah. the work she was able to do in creating the music element i was like fascinating it's so I mean, cool yeah i mean you want to, i mean that was uncharted territory i think even for games in terms of just like yeah totally really seems like it so yeah please yeah. tell me more <laughs> well so here's the other thing you know what um i think for in establishing glow up like one of the things we knew we wanted to do was like there was just so much space out there to invent new forms of gameplay and game mechanics that just haven't been explored because a lot of game mechanics have come you know we could get into this as a whole thing but a lot of them have come from the same context or the same sort of um, cultural touchstones and touch points. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, so we wanted to very much like explore this very kind of fertile ground for what do new game mechanics look like when informed by our cultural backgrounds. So, you know, a natural place to start because in Insecure, one of the very relatable things that Issa's character does in, you know, from season one, from the first episode, is she will like wrap in the mirror to hype herself up. So we were like, hey, let's turn that into a game mechanic. Like, that would be really cool. Because the other thing you often see in, you know, uh, in free-to-play games as kind of a space is, unfortunately, there's not as much kind of appetite for innovation in that space as you would like, right? Um, and so there's often a sort of, you know, uh, risk adverseness. There's a kind of lack of real experimentation. So one of the things we've also done with this is, subvert the way that a lot of free-to-play mobile games kind of look and feel and play like we've invented this new game mechanic um it was a lot of work and i mean all credit to uh Inongo and other members of our team as well because one of the things that she has done is taken like the wealth of knowledge she has as an actual rapper and like you know she went through this whole process which you know she can give probably a 90-minute talk about one day where she had to like take that out of her brain and convert it to a game mechanic. Like, how does she do that? How does she like 
come up with words and how do you then make the player feel like someone who can freestyle rap yeah so it's like you know how do you and you know I my favorite bit of feedback and we hear this a lot right Latoya is people are like oh yeah I can't rap but this game is really making me feel like a rapper yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing when how much she put into this idea of like how do all the words fit together because I mean it's it seems simple like as we all talk every day we all think okay this is going but then trying to translate that into zeros and ones and into like a spreadsheet where values are pulled and this happens and that happens and this happens and then out of the side you get this rhyme that makes sense which was i didn't realize how much of a struggle that was going to be until we started doing it but like yeah this whole idea of just and then also like regional context where we had so many conversations around like you know sam's like if if i wrote kang k-a-n-g the way that texas pronounced king are our players going to get that? And then we're going, okay, well, players from other countries are going to be Googling. Like, does this come up on Urban Dictionary? How do we, how do we spell guap? Like, we just had so many of these, like, random conversations around, like, how are we standardizing this in terms of the ways which we refer to it in different parts of the game? Like, there was just so much that we hadn't even touched. Um, the whole concept of slant rhyme and understanding how do you actually train a player to understand these things and to present it in a way where it's fun and playable and that they don't have to feel like they're an expert to be able to actually do it. Well, and that, that, I mean, that whole process gives so much agency to an entire art form that has been <laughs> long underappreciated as well. Um, so breaking it down, that's so yeah, cool. Yeah, Sam has a great piece on, what is it, book, book something, book papers? But it's called like AI a rapper, and it's all about kind of like the erasure. I saw that. Yeah, when I'm researching, like, I will that find is, it again. I mean, again, like, you know, working with the, the folks that I get to work with, people like, as brilliant as Mitu and Samus and folks like that, like, it's just bars all the time when I go back and read. So I was looking, I was like, wow, we did that. Like, I, we worked together on this thing. Because <laughs> I was, like, impressed. I was just reading it like, damn, you're right. Wow, wow, like, this is happening. I was like, oh, wait, that's our part. That's our part. We are changing this. But in some ways, it's, it's that weird, yeah. like, unreality <laughs> that we are actually making all of these changes in the industry that you know again until you like step back i think we're very in the weeds day to day just trying to make things work but when you step back and realize like oh wait hey yeah the predominant way that rap has been treated in the last you know 20 years or so is as a commodity and as an algorithmic Mm -hmm. commodity and samus is reclaiming Mm -hmm. space through the game mechanics through what we're doing it's like yeah we're always part of bigger conversations and it's you know it's easy to lose sight of that when we're like just trying to focus on like okay is this is this thing going the way we want it to are we building this thing that, yeah are we keeping the lights on what's going on like yeah like i read that piece and was like yeah we did that that was us that was us <laughs> we're, we're doing some things yeah exactly i just had someone on recently who said to uh celebrate your accomplishments along the way <laughs> i liked uh hearing that real-time story about doing that uh yeah because i think it's really easy to get to get um, caught up in keeping the lights on and fundraising and all of that. So totally understand, but that was a really little, nice little moment to hear that you all also have been able to celebrate your wins along the way a little bit. Um, and let's talk about kind of the, we've, we've skirted around this, but I want to give actual, con- not skirted, but we've talked about this, but I want to give context in numbers. So about the statistics for developers in the game industry, um, so the IGDA does an annual report, the Game Developer Satisfaction Report, surveys over 800 people who work as game developers. The 2021 report found that 61% of respondents identified as male, 
which is down from 71% in 2019. There's a little bit of movement there. Um, but 75% identified as white, and there's not a lot of movement there. <laughs> uh, and there's obvious impl implications about some of the barriers that you all might have faced or people who look like you have faced um, to actually enter the space. Um, I found an article from LaToya which summed up diversity in games very succinctly. It's trash. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I thought that was a very good uh, uh, quote <laughs> to uh, talk about the situation. To the point, but, it's just, she's just right. yeah. <laughs> I don't on the bush either. Um, but let's, I, I just want to hear from you all how you were able to cultivate, you know, your, your sense of willpower to keep going, to keep pushing. Um, how you were able to to balance that with all of the things that you've faced along the way. Um, I, very candidly, I was telling Mitu earlier that I'm having a very difficult week. So a lot of my questions have centered on mental health uh, in this in this episode. But what have you been able to do to continue to keep pushing forward, to continue to work or hope or what has your support system been like? Like just what has that journey been like for you both i mean it's certainly been a journey um i mean here's the thing we came to this already having survived in our spaces like that's the thing you know you, you, like even before glow up um if you look at the number of folks who you know have um uh, sort of more senior roles in like games or media or if you look at like how many uh women and you know women of color especially people of color are, you know, in these prominent sort of decision-making roles in these spaces. Like, we got to that even before Blow Up, right? So we've, like, you know, I think if there's one thing that we can talk a lot about and know a lot about um, as women of color is survival, um, because it's something we've been doing our whole lives and our whole careers. Um, and I think that informs us, you know, that kind of keeps us, is part of what keeps us going. Um, you know, and to come to that and then, you know, really with glow up games um we knew it was going to be tough but it was tougher you know for many reasons it's been even tougher than we could ever have anticipated um you know we mentioned the global pandemic which of course didn't help uh, and exacerbated things but you know it's been um it's been a journey i mean latoria and i always have a saying that we're like oh yeah you know we're gonna write a book one day about like the journey we've had building glow up games because there have been some wild stories and you know, potential investors of fundraising meetings, people have said some things yeah. to us. Like, you should write a book. I would a thousand percent. Yeah. Um, but I think just to, you know, and I'll, I'll turn over to Latoria in, in a second, but like, I think in terms of what keeps us going um, amidst all of that difficulty, it's because this matters to us. Like, it's something that we built this company so that folks can not only see themselves in stories and on the screen, but also so there is a place for people who look like us in the industry, in the space, and we can nurture that talent and we can kind of continue to build space. We're all about that representation, both behind the scenes and on the screen. And that's something that's important. And, you know, is kind of, as someone, certainly for me, as someone who's like been in the game space a long time, um, is something that's kind of, just really what keeps me going, you know, and, and um, as kind of core to the reason I do anything. It's all about like, how do we make things better for those coming after us? And how do we, um, you know, make sure we get the space to tell, you know, to have our stories told as well, because we do deserve that, you know? So yeah, that's, that's, I'll leave it at that, turn over to Latoya. 
I mean, yeah, everything that you said times a hundred. And then, you know, there's just, there's just layers and layers and layers to why we feel this motivation, why we want to do this. I mean, there's the obvious thing was like, oh, you're both women. I'm like, yes, women, but also, you know, there's this other layer of women of color. There's other way for us as being brown skin girls, which is a whole other kind of conversation in terms of who gets seen and who is normally represented. Um, and then from there, right, you know, like Mitsu is South Asian and I'm African-American. Like those are very, you don't see anyone in leadership roles in that way to the point where, you know, even like a lot of the heroes, like just trying to find like people of color to be on our board. Who can be on the board of Globe Games that is a prominent person in the industry that is a person of color? That number is small um, in terms of black professionals. That number is small, small to the point where, you know, it becomes uh in some ways, I think for us, easy to meet our heroes just because it's so unusual to see this thing, to see someone like us making a run for it and trying. And at this point, like I realized, I was like, man, we've been in business three years. Like, you know, the first woman of color to run a game studio that I know of is Jacqueline Beauchamp, who did a studio called Energize. And I think her studio was in operation maybe five years, maybe, maybe four, maybe five. So we might exceed that. And like, if we exceed that, that's, you know, this is new. Again, every day we're breaking ground and we're looking at a new frontier. And that's tough, right? Like we talk a lot, I think, as women of color about being the first in a space and what it means to be the first and to be a pioneer. And the first means like you're alone, <laughs> like you don't have support and that people don't really know how to take you or what to do or how to support you in the way that, you know, later on down the line, they'll be able to learn like, oh, well, this happened with Blow Up. But, you know, if we don't want this to happen to other studios, we got to invest more. We got to do this more. But we're the ones that are like pushing that out of the way so that's i mean that's tight i think the the other piece of it that you know speaks to what mitzi was saying about keeping going when things are brutally hard startups in general are brutally hard right startups in general any kind of new venture is hard right and then gaming is super hard and then on top of that we decided to be people of color serving people of color in <laughs> games which is also brutally hard and then we made a new mechanic which is also brutally hard so it was, everything was just like dark souls of game development <laughs> like that's what we've been doing and so um you know there's a lot of days where it's like you know i don't know if we got it like in some days you're like i don't know if i have it like i don't know if i can keep going and then something random will always happen and i'm like okay we try let's try again try again tomorrow like i was at the nail salon super randomly no real plans i was like let me just get my nails off at these ridiculous nails from an event and take them off so i'm gonna go get these nails off and stop at a place i normally go and this guy, number one, it's a man. Number two, it's a black man who like my manicure. So I was like, oh, I haven't seen that before. Interesting. And then I noticed he's covered in Mario tattoos. Covered. And he's got Nintendo here, Nintendo here. He's got a neck tattoo of a Windows 95 logo. And I was like, oh, he's a bad I'm going to show you his IG after this. I looked, when I saw the Windows 95 neck tattoo, we were in new territory. Because I was like, yeah, that's awesome. That was hardcore. So I'm like, so I'm sitting here. I thought Did you ask him what his AOL screen name was? Because I feel like that's the question. Yeah, like, what's your aim screen? His name is Nintendo. Like, his online handle is NEN. 10 doe nintendo like he is not they called him nintendo at the nail salon so i'm sitting here and i'm like should i ask let me ask are you a gamer absolutely oh my god i love video games you know this is my life and he was like yeah i'm a sys admin and you know then he was like talking about this whole winding story about like how he ended up not going into the industry because he was like oh i smoke too much weed and i can't 
be in the industry anymore. But he was like, when I was doing interviews, I got them. Like, he was completely covered in tears. And he was like, I got a Windows 95 tattoo because I knew if in the interview, if they could see that, they would ask me if I did Windows. And that was my specialty. And that's how I would do it. And he's like, wow. I always wanted to get into games. And I didn't know how. And I was like. Sure. <laughs> like, all right. Like, okay. Yeah, I need to. I needed to be here to share this knowledge that we have learned. So I was like, if you got a Windows ninety five neck tattoo, my dude, like obviously this is going to work out for you. This is going. You are dedicated. I don't. It's on all your arms. We're going to bring him a copy of Reggie's book and be like, go ahead and pose with this 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 <laughs> this whole situation going on right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and like you know, I just I was just telling him, I was like, oh yeah, like games is QA, you need these types of jobs, like whatever. And there's so many folks who are hungry to get in. I mean, after all, players of color overrepresent in terms of people who play and are loyal to franchises and all these different things, but we just don't see ourselves behind the scenes in that same way. And so what ends up happening, I think, you know, Mitzi, you can feel free to speak to this as well. Like we show up and it's a different conversation. It's a different conversation. I showed up at something, it's like a, like an indicate horizon for students. And, you know, I showed up and I was like, Oh, I'm in the wrong spot. Like everybody's like, you know, this is how I became a game developer on the side. Like, when I was around the thing and I was like, oh, I'm over here. Like, these are students. I'm over here talking about like how to get capital. This is wrong audience. Wrong thing. Oops. And then in the chat, in the Discord, um, somebody was like, hey, I've never seen a Black owner of a game studio before. I feel really inspired by this. Like, I'm go- it's good to see someone else like me that can do this. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess this is, this is, in some ways, us being here is the thing. Like, yeah. It's the end. It's full stop. I always think I have to do more, but sometimes it's just the fact that we're here and somebody feels mm-hmm. like they can talk to us in a different way. It's the work. It helps. It helps. And also, um, I think too, shipping the game, right? Mitsu, like in terms of there was so many years of us like fighting through the pandemic, fighting through funding, mm-hmm. fighting all this other stuff that yeah. it was just kind of like, what are we even doing? And then to see the responses that people have was, I think, the most gratifying because we got the hard part right, which is building game people like everything else can be a mess. But at the end of the day, people want to play more of this thing that we and like that that's the that's the biggest validation I think. I, I like that you said that or not like, but I, it's so interesting that you say it's so easy to meet your heroes and then how you you all have been at this for three years and I'm sure you you are both heroes to so many people um for what you do and the feedback that you've gotten. Um Part of the reason why I was so nervous to interview you today, by the way, is I'm like, oh my God, they're amazing. Um, so, but that's, it's, I, I certainly hope that that pool gets much bigger, um, but it's also really neat how much you're able to inspire people just by being yourselves. Um, that's a very, I mean, that's not, not like a win for not having a lot of people that look like you. It, it is just amazing, like how much territory you're able to cover just by being you, though. That kind of, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to phrase that any better, but that's that's quite an amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, Latoya said it really well as well. Like, it's you know, so, some days all you have is the energy to show up, and that's enough, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. that really it. Um, just existing in this space as who we are is that act of is an act of resistance. It's an act of like fighting the kind of you know dominant ways that things happen so yeah that's why we do what we do 
What does what one bear always say? I exist in this industry out of spite. Because <laughs> this idea of like, yeah, I will resist to the end. Exactly. <laughs> and shout out, yeah. So Manbir Hare is um, uh, the president um, of uh, Brass Lion Entertainment, who are kind of our sister studio in some ways. Um, they are, um, they're a, a diverse triple A games company. So they basically make games for like console, et cetera. So yeah, we're doing similar, similar work in like very different spaces. So cool. I wanted to kind of end with a discussion on what it's like to be a startup and what that process has been like. We we spoke a long time ago in a previous conversation about building the company and the venture process. And um, me too. I know that you've had experiences building several companies now. I read that this is your third and you face specific challenges being who you are in the venture space and trying to fundraise. Um, I, it's wonderful to hear that you had such a good partnership with HBO, but I would imagine that other parts of start of being a startup and of getting funding have not been as easy. Um, could you just walk me through what that was like? Any advice both of you have for people who are either working at startups, thinking about starting something? Um, yeah. Any, any tips? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a big question. So, um, you know, so so that folks know, um, Glow Up Games uh, has previously raised, so, you know, to date we've raised 1.2 million at pre-seed. So basically what that means is um, in order to build the game, that's the money that we raise in order to, um, in order to sort of, you know, get Glow Up Games started, start hiring people, because a lot of that is not just about building the game it's about building the infrastructure of the studio um building like the the means to then also be able to make other games going forward so um yeah it's it's been tough you know um fundraising um and you know for for transparency as well we're currently fundraising again for our seed round so basically moving on now that we're three years into the journey we've like launched one game this is kind of raising again for the next stage to kind of go bigger and keep doing what we're doing um but it's been yeah it's been difficult and the first time we were raising um and every time we got out to fundraise like it takes a while um it you know and i think the thing the way i'll summarize that is that often the you know the bar is just higher like that's the thing um the bar is is often higher for us than it it would be for our white male counterparts you know that's what i will say um because you know it's first it's like um you know off when we first went out try and fundraise like we had this great ip partnership we had like all of this you know we have um a team that's kind of uh got experience etc you know granted we hadn't like worked together to ship a game at that point so a lot of what we would hear is like oh well you haven't shipped a game yet you haven't sort of done all this and done all that um so really, you know, it took us a lot longer and we actually ended up fundraising from a lot of just amazing angels for the most part. So a lot of individuals, a lot of sort of smaller funds who really believed in us and the vision and the, what we were building and basically were on the same page as us. And I think what that taught us is that it doesn't, you know, sometimes it can take longer, but if you've got the right people, that's what's most important, right? Because you're, you're building something that they believe in, that you all believe in, you're on the same page. So yeah, it's, it's you know, it, it is tough. And now we're fundraising again. And, um, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing a lot of these 
kind of similar tensions, etc. Um, it does help to have like shipped something now as a team. Um, but I will say, yeah, the bar does continue to be very high for um, for underrepresented, for marginalized folks in general in the fundraising space. And, the, you know, the stats definitely bear that out. Yeah, and definitely in terms of, you know, just our journey from a raise perspective, if you've been asked for something tomorrow, I mean, like me too, you had uh, two other companies before this. And you know, I remember just like we had this moment where we're trying to get our data room together. And I'm like, how do you, and you're like, I was never asked for this stuff before. before. Like, yeah. like, we had to produce this level of documentation. Like, it was a lot more like what we said went. And, you know, it's, just, it's these subtle little things, this subtle denial of the benefit of the doubt that really characterizes how, what women of color are facing, like women broadly, but women of color especially, where we have to prove what other folks can kind of just hint for it. And I think, and I'm keeping like a little list on my counter because I'm petty, of like people who got funded before us who are now out of business, right? <laughs> who got a more generous package and things like that. I just read about a, uh, another company where the founder has taken another job. And I'm part of me is like, can we, can we just talk about this because, Yes, I wanted. I just want to know what the thinking was here because obviously this did not work, but we are still here. What's going on? Um, but it's this idea that there's this higher threshold that we all have to hold ourselves to, and even with results, even with the ship game, even with contracts in hand, for some reason we're still not as compelling as you know a group of you know younger white guys. Yeah, and that's which that's I, I I think the thing I'll say is you know that's interesting. That's an interesting point that Latoya brings up because we are like resilient. Like that's the thing. You know, we like know how to keep going, and it's almost wild to me. Like this is what I'll say to the venture funding world, which is that bet on people of color, bet on women of color, because we know how to survive. We know how to be resilient AF. Right? Like that is kind of one of the things we have to do in the world, and. You know, it's it's that's ultimately, you know, you look at all these um, traits of successful entrepreneurs, you look at like all of these things. Resilience is the thing at the end of the day. It really is that ability to sort of take those knocks and keep going. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's it's we need to see more marginalized folks get funded. Like that's, that's what I'll say. Yeah. And then also too, like just to, to add on to this, because I think money is such a big issue for yeah. women in general broadly, but also especially for women of color. Because we are expected to do so much more with less mm -hmm. all of the time. We're always trying to make it work regardless of like the level of funding that you would get. And like all of these things have knock-on effects. And I think that wasn't as clear as it was when we're, you know, in this case, even what we're raising from angels who are mm -hmm. people of color who've done wonderful work in all kinds of sectors, all kinds of things. And check size is smaller because they are also getting paid less than their counterparts. So they have less to invest. In terms of like even stuff from like celebrities, right? You can see with like celebrities of color and how their deals don't result in the same amount of money that it would for an equivalent. Like I mean, Viola Davis is always like, if I'm the black male street, pay me like her, right? But it's like there's these things can be multitudes of difference, even with like A-list black actors, which means they have less to invest and they have less to start studios with and they have less to pay people with. It's a downstream thing. And so, like, you know, income inequality, investment inequality, all of those different things have to be addressed for us to start actually seeing strides being made. And we didn't realize how much this was an entire system, an ecosystem. One thing to say, okay, there's a management gap. There's one thing to say there's a pipeline gap. But there's another thing completely to say that there's an opportunity gap, there's an equity gap, there's a pay gap. And all of those factors contribute to why you don't see more studios like us. 
Yeah, that makes so much sense. And yeah, that's the real pipeline problem to me mm-hmm. is paying everyone who should be. Yeah, uh, the whole other thing. But yes, that is an in very observant and, and relevant point. Um, I want to move into our last section because I'm very cognizant that we're almost running up against time. Before we get into that, I'm going to do a quick summary of what we talked about. We began with a discussion on Insecure and the audience it represented and how Glow Up Games wanted to reflect the mechanics and implications of the show. It's not a quick buck collaboration. It's an intentional partnership to create something for an audience that should be interested and in, in, in engaged with the kind of content that Insecure puts out, um, as well as people who don't watch the show. Um, but we won't talk about that. The game is part story-driven, part simulator. It has many great games that incorporate a very original mechanic of rap and creative music uh, kind of stylings and creations on the part of the audience. The reason why you all went with a mobile game, um, among accessibility and many other reasons, it was with the phone being an integrated part of life, the player experience is actually competing with itself for screen time. But mobile games allow for the expansion of the world of the show, especially for creators of color. And there's a lack of experimentation in free-to-play games, so it's important to invent new game, new game mechanics, uh, particularly since the same types of people have been building games for a long time. So mobile games represent a lot of room for innovation, a lot of room for accessibility, and an integrated part of our lives. Um, what keeps you all going despite the numerous and very unfortunate and sad barriers slash situations you're put up against? is people seeing themselves in stories and on screen matters. Representation behind the scenes and on the screen matters. It becomes easy to meet your heroes because the pool is limited, which is very unfortunate. Also becomes easy for you to become the heroes and inspire kind of the next generation, which hopefully has a much wider pool of folks. Being first has its own challenges. You're alone and you don't necessarily have the same support that an established industry would have. But some days it's okay to just have the energy to show up because that's more than enough. Um, being who you are is an act of fighting and an act of resistance in this space um, that is helpful to inspire other folks who look like you. Uh, the bar, when it comes to fundraising, we, we ended with a little discussion on startups and how the bar is higher for women and people of color to raise money. Uh, you all wound up fundraising from people who believed in the vision, which did take longer, but wound up being worth it just because they really understood what you were going for. So it takes resilience. It takes time, um, but try to stick with it. And women and people of color have resilience in spades. So more of those folks should get funded because they have the the fight, the the survival instincts to keep going, to go for it, to build. Um, women are expected to do so much more with less and people of color have the same expectation. And this has knock-on effects uh, from downstream, upstream, all the way through. So I know that uh, Latoya gave this specific example of black and brown angel investors have less to invest, which means that there's less to move downstream, which means that you all are having to do less with less resources and then employ. And it just winds up being like a whole pattern. So addressing that that stream problem and the income inequality found at the different levels is something that's really going to um, allow for bigger strides to be made. Um, and that comes from... Uh, not just going to the end product. It comes, it starts all the way back in the venture and funding space and in a lot of other spaces for sure. So with that being said, I like to end each podcast with the same segment and it's called a moment of reflection. It's just a chance for you to give any advice to people who may just be starting their career or looking to switch their career or whatever it may be. But what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the game industry and being successful? 
Oof. Um, I think it really is about, you know, it's okay to be yourself and to show up um, because they're, your community is out there um, and it's important to find them. So that's what I would say. Um, it really is about like the networks you build of folks who can support you and um, who, you know, have this kind of shared mission and vision and, you know, that we're creating a sort of, you know, a studio that uh, reflects that, um, that is kind of trying to push that forward and make it easier. Yeah, so I think for me, I was talking to a friend recently who was thinking about returning to the games industry after leaving a decade ago and like going back and forth about like all the issues and, you know, all the stress and all the, the problems and like, why? Like, why? Why did you do this? Why did you want to do this? You know, well, here's the deal. It's been hard. It's been brutal. It's definitely taken a lot more than I thought I had right? in terms of making this work. But uh, I don't regret taking the shot. Like regardless of what happened this wasn't just a dream we kept talking about at brunch this is a thing that we actually did regardless at this point of how it works out we took the shot we did a whole bunch of things that i think we never thought possible just by participating by being by saying okay we're gonna step up and do this even if it's not perfect even if it didn't come together the way we wanted it to and so that i think that was the biggest thing that i think surprised me about the conversation um because we're you know we're talking about it and he was like you know would you go back i, I could go back could go back and you know have a nice cushy job and not be broke anymore it'd be really great but you know at the end of the day we're doing the thing and there aren't that many opportunities in your life to just go do the thing and what however it pans out there's no regrets because you tried it you did it there's nothing at the end of this, I think we have left everything on the floor. So yeah, this, this is the best, whatever it was, this was the best we could do. That's so great though. Thank you both so much for coming on. This has been just really, really wonderful conversation. Um, everyone should go on their phones right now and download and secure the come up game. Where else can people find you, follow you, follow Globe Games, find your work, just yeah. keep up with what Globe Games is doing. Well, so we're uh, at Glow Up Games on most social platforms, GlowUp.Games on Instagram, Glow Up Games on Twitter. Um, you know, Mitu is at Mitu K. I'm at Latoya Peterson if you want to talk to us individually. And, you know, we're easy to find. We're always around. Always around. <laughs> Great. Thank you so, so much. Um, for all of our listeners, be sure to leave the five-star ratings and reviews. You've heard me give this speech a million times. Check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business and Business of Esports. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, Lindsay Poss. And you can catch me Wednesday nights on the Business of Esports live after show. You can catch this podcast in your feed every week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.